Ah, the family that sings together, stays together, something like that. Take your Bible tonight, please, and open to the Old Testament book of Song of Solomon. And no, it's not Wednesday, although we will be into chapter 2 this Wednesday. But I'd like you to turn to chapter 7, chapter 7 of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. I'd like to direct your attention just to one verse here, and that's verse 10. I mean, keep your seats, but I'd like you to read this verse out loud together with me, please. Would you do that now? Verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Tonight we're going to talk about our beloved Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to explore a subject that's too big for us. Our Jesus, our beloved Jesus, is far greater, far greater in every way. Help us to scratch the surface tonight. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would use the Scriptures tonight and get a hold of our hearts once again. And please convince us of the truth of the faithfulness and love of Almighty God for us. What an incredible Savior is ours. And Father, in a way, we pity those of the world who worship some pagan god, some strange idol, bound with chains, many of them are, to religions of do's and don'ts. They know nothing of the intimacy, the, the personal God, they, they just don't know. And so, as we count our many blessings, help us to remember we have an obligation to let our light shine. And so, please touch our hearts tonight and wound us, make us dependent on Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you all a question here. I want you to be very honest. Please don't be shy. Don't hide the fact. But if you're married, would you raise your hand? Ooh, that's a good number of hands. Now, you married ones, do you remember the time, the day, the circumstance when you first laid eyes on your future, future wife, future husband? Do you remember? Yes? Yes? Mm-hmm. A few amens there. Yeah. You know, for me, it was in... Uh, April 1977. That's when I first laid eyes on the future Mrs. White. Wow. You know, it's, it's like the light bulb went on. It's like the violins played, the fireworks, right? And I saw her across the room and I thought, wow. Now there is a great Christian gal. And, uh, you know, when you meet the right one, you can't get them out of your head, right? And um, you go to bed that night and you're thinking about them. You get up the next day and you're still kind of entertaining thoughts of them. And sometimes this goes on and on and it gets hard to work. It gets hard to function. It can, uh, it can be downright uh, miserable. 
uh, when you found the right one. And uh, I have still fond memories of that. And, you know, there was uh, uh, the day when I found out that she, uh, she cared for me. And uh, then there was a lot of intrigue. You know, I got to find out everything I can possibly find out about this uh, young lady. Uh, I, I want to ask her all kinds of questions. I've got a million questions. And so uh, I remember going through all of this. Um, we uh, dated for about four years. And this was back from 77 uh, to 81. Uh, we didn't have cell phones, didn't have email or, or text messages, uh, no Facebook. Imagine that. No tweets, no twits, none of that stuff. We had paper and pen. I, I was away in Bible college and she was back home. And uh, when I first went to Bible college in 78, I was so sickly afraid that when I went, the, the sharks would move in and steal her from me. And she was so afraid that when I went to Bible college, those sweet girls would swoop in and steal me from her. But uh, we made it through to Thanksgiving. And then from then we knew the Lord's in it, you know. Anyhow, make a long story short, I don't want to bore you with home movies here or anything like that. But we, uh, we married on May 2nd, 1981. And we went off on our honeymoon two weeks to uh, Miami. Wow, what an adventure that was. We got sunburned too, and I'm not going to go into that. That was something else. But uh, then we came back and we began our life together. But I'll tell you something. <clears throat> As the months came and went, uh, we became familiar with each other, and we began to level off. And when, when that happens, courtesies that you normally uh, are quick to pay to your new loved one, courtesies tend to disappear. We tend to take one another for granted. Then we start becoming interested in other things, such as jobs, the house, the children, and so on. And these take more priority. And the romance can slip away because the care and the intrigue have somehow slipped away. Someone once put it, don't let the honey drip out of the honeymoon. Are Christians immune from this? Is it possible that this sort of thing could happen to any of us here tonight? Well, I'd like you to consider another relationship. It's the day when you met the Lord Jesus. And look at it once again in chapter 7, verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. If you were here on Wednesday night, you'll know that uh, I began the study on the Song of Solomon, pointing out that it appears to have a first or primary application to the sanctity of married life between two young married lovers. But many conservative Bible scholars uh, take it further than that, and they see more to it than that, and they see in there a relationship between God and his people. And I, this is what I see. I've studied this book for many years, 
and um, never preached on it. So I'm, I'm doing that on Wednesday nights. We're having a Bible study. We've gone through chapter one. We'll be in chapter two this Wednesday. I hope you're here seven o'clock. But um, here we have another relationship. It's when we found the Lord or maybe when he found us or even better when we found each other. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. There was a day when you found out that God Almighty really did love you. Uh, you may have been younger, you may have been older at the time, but you learned a great truth. God cared for you. There was a love and care and tenderness in his heart for you. Somehow, the Holy Spirit told you that you were the apple of God's eye. What a happy day that was. Of course, that aroused your curiosity. You were intrigued to learn more about Jesus, this this well-beloved. The Bible became like his love letter to you. You couldn't wait to slip away and be alone with Jesus in prayer. Now, if you're here tonight, you're saved. You had time like that. To greater or lesser degree, you had a time where you were just so amazed with Jesus and you wanted to be near and dear to him. And then as you started to get a few weeks, a few months of Christian life under your belt, you felt that you wanted to serve him in some way. And so uh, you felt the Lord calling you to do some kind of job, some kind of service or ministry for him. This is not the case for every Christian, but for most of us as a rule of thumb. We get these, these desires in us to serve the Lord some way. And for some, they, they go off to Bible college and they train for full-time ministry as a pastor, a missionary, evangelist, or full-time Christian worker. But for uh, most others, they feel the desire to serve the Lord uh, as a Sunday school teacher, as a, a, an usher, um, as part of the choir, some kind of ministry. They, they have a desire to serve the Lord. And that's the way it ought to be, I believe. Maybe uh, you remember that first day when, as a Sunday school teacher, you gave your first lesson, or maybe the first time you got up and gave your testimony. Or maybe for some, the first you know, sermon that you preached or the first time you actively got involved in serving the Lord, maybe as a soul winner or in the bus ministry or some kind of service, something that you were doing. Do you have any memory of that? Those were exciting days. Those were scary days as well. You were afraid that you might fail. But as the months went on, maybe the years passed by, you got busy just serving the Lord and it all became kind of routine. Now, no question, you've learned more about your beloved uh, and you know he cares for you, but the mystique, the intrigue seems to have slipped away. And what happens then is we level off. Just like in marriage, when the mystique, the intrigue starts to slip away, we begin to level off. Now, let's take the Bible and turn to the book of Jeremiah. And we'll spend a few minutes in the book of Jeremiah learning some, some truths, but we'll go to chapter 2. Jeremiah 2, verse 1. 
Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm going to read a number of verses here. and I'd like you to follow along here with me. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. And there's definitely an application here for married couples. No question about it. But there's an application here for all Christians. You remember back to when you got saved and how happy you were and thrilled you were to be part of God's family. How you couldn't wait to be in church. How you couldn't wait to read the Bible and see what new thing God had for you. To pray and to learn more about this mysterious, wonderful, intriguing God and Savior. But you know, people can cool off from their love for Christ. And I'll tell you, it can happen in the ministry as well. And uh, it's sad, but there are pastors and missionaries and full-time Christian workers who have long since cooled off in their real love for the Lord. And their work for the Lord becomes just like a nine-to-five, Monday-to-Friday kind of thing. They can hardly wait till the sermon's done so they can get off to the golf course or something. And there are actually men in the ministry like that. Well, let's continue reading. Verse 3. Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain. Now there's a word to all backsliders to all who at one time were walking close to the Lord and through whatever reason, whatever set of circumstance, they're not walking that close with the Lord anymore. They're not all that excited and thrilled to come to church or to read the Bible or to let their light shine. And they're walking in vanity. Verse 6, Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. So they had forgotten, Israel had forgotten how God had brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness. So many uh, Christians today, after a number of months or years have passed by, they've forgotten how it was they got saved. They've forgotten the day. They've forgotten the circumstance. Something that at one point was so impressed on their hearts, so amazing to their minds. Now it's forgotten. Believe it. It, it happens. Verse 7, And I brought you into a plentiful country, this is the promised land he speaks of, to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. That's pretty sad, isn't it? When God blesses us and we take it all for granted. The job God gives, the husband or wife God gives, the children God gives, the house God gives, the car God gives. And we just take them for granted. Verse 8. 
Now we get into the, the folks in the ministry. Look at this. The priests said not, where is the Lord? Oh, imagine that. And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal. Well, that was a wicked pagan god, Baal. That's how the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim. Now that's a reference to Cyprus out in the Mediterranean. And see and send unto Kedar. Now that would be Arabia, what we would know as Arabia. And consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have, number one, forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and, number two, hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In case you are not familiar with a cistern, it was a, a large hole they would dig in the ground and they would uh, line it with like a plaster and they would make it waterproof and the idea was to fill it with water. And that was like your, your drinking water. That's what a cistern was. And God said, there's two evils. My people, number one, have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn out, they've dug themselves out these cisterns, and he says they're broken cisterns that can hold no water. So all the water they're dumping in there, it's leaking out. That's what happens. That's the situation here when a Christian cools off from God. They've leveled off. The intrigue is gone. So they start becoming more taken up with their job and career and their children, their house, their car and the, the weeds on their front lawn and their health and, you know, on and on the list goes. God is no longer number one, whereas he used to be. Now he's number two, number three, number four, or even further down the list. God has been pushed down and other things have been put in his place. And the Bible calls that idolatry. You say, is that even possible for a born-again man or woman to commit a idolatry? And the answer is yes. The Apostle John warns us in the book of 1 John right at the end. He says, little children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Keep yourselves from idols. The Apostle Paul wrote and said that covetousness is idolatry. Oh, I want that job. Oh, I want that raise. Oh, I want this. I want that. Ooh. And that coveting, according to the Bible, is idolatry. And so it's quite possible for any of us here tonight. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. How beloved is your Jesus to you tonight? Is he everything he used to be? That's why I ask you, do you remember back when you got saved? For me, it was uh, th uh, six, seven, two years before I met my wonderful bride, April of 1975. Imagine that. I got saved in April, and I first met my future wife two years later in April. How about that? That's pretty good. Do you remember when you got saved and how you walked on cloud nine? 
Wow, it was amazing. You thought, this can't be true. It's so good. It's so wonderful. I know God. And reading the Bible and praying and coming to church and being with other believers of like precious faith and everything was just glory. Hallelujah. But then the old devil says, well, we'll put a stop to that. And slowly, somehow, he leveled things off in your life. The intrigue, the mystery of God and who he is and what he can do and, and his love for you started to level off. And then it became business as usual. And when that happens, we start looking around for other interests. Other things begin to uh, take number one position. And that's what Jeremiah was telling the people of his day. Now, if you turn to chapter 10... I, I just want you to see this. I want to make sure that you see this, that this kind of thing uh, happens to pastors too. So don't ever get the impression that in the ministry, you're high and mighty, you're insulated. You are not. You are a target uh, maybe bigger than before you got in the ministry. But in chapter 10, look at verse 21. It says, for the pastors are become brutish. You say, what does that mean? Well, the idea of a brute, they use that as an adjective to describe a beast, a brute beast. And the idea is dull or stupid or irrational. The pastors have become brutish, dull, stupid, irrational, and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. That kind of thing is still happening. It's never stopped. And that's something that I have to struggle with. And I have to keep in mind at all times. Wherefore, let the pastor that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Turn a page to chapter 12. You'll see it again. Boy, if ever I'm preaching to myself, it's tonight. Chapter 12 and verse 10. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. You imagine that. The pastor destroying the work of God. And yet it's happening. It's sad. And I'm ashamed to, to tell you this. But it's happening. It's never stopped. And it'll continue to happen until Jesus finally comes and does something about it. But men in the ministry, small churches, medium churches, large churches, and other kinds of um, worldwide ministries that uh, men are involved with, and many of them started good. And then somehow things leveled off, and they ended up fleecing the sheep. Turn to chapter 23. This is too painful for me. This is the last one I'm going to show you. Chapter 23. Verse 1, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Wow, do you think that applies today? I do. I think it does. You know, there's an awesome, scary responsibility to be in the ministry. There's probably men in the ministry today who ought not to be in the ministry. And listen, there's probably some men that ought to be in the ministry, but they're not. 
that this kind of thing happens. But you get in the ministry as a pastor or a missionary, an evangelist, some kind of full-time Christian worker for the Lord, and there's tremendous pressure on you. There's tremendous rewards, but there's tremendous pressure on you. And uh, sometimes one slip-up can cause a lot of damage. Solomon wrote about that in Ecclesiastes. He said that dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. savor. So them that, uh, how does it go again? A little folly, I'm going to mess it up now. So them that are held in reputation, you have to read it yourself. But you get the idea that uh, in the ministry, more is expected of you and uh, more should be expected. There's a lot more pressure on you in the ministry. Uh, Wow, does that mean we have to be perfect? I sure wish we were. But uh, men in the ministry are not perfect, and they struggle too. And sometimes they have deeper struggles than you'll ever know. That's why when pastors get together sometimes and there's no microphones and no cameras and there's just them alone in a room, sometimes they say, oh, how are you doing? Oh, oh, let me tell you, how are you doing? Oh, (laughs) and pastors sometimes do that. They need kind of the fellowship because iron sharpeneth iron and pastors need that. And um, my ministry days are not over yet. I still hope I have a few left. But I've, I've done the bulk of my ministry days, and I'm looking to try to help others in the ministry and other guys that are maybe uh, uh, a little younger than I, and I'm trying to be a blessing and encouragement to them. And, uh, boy, that's a joy. It's also a sorrow to see uh, pastors make mistakes that I've made and to, uh, to know what's coming down the pipe. I'm not here to uh, cry in my soup or anything like that, but I just want to show you that even in the ministry, the wonder of God's calling and the wonder of being saved and the wonder of heaven and the joys and the rewards to come and the wonder of serving God can level off. And then the interest starts moving to other things, other things. And some pastors spend more time on the golf course than they do in the study all week long. That's true. I wish I actually spent a little more time on the golf course. I don't think I got out once last year. I try and get out once a year just to keep my, my finger in the pie there, but uh, some years I don't make it out. Christians can start off good, but then they can level off. They no longer feel that God really loves them and cares for them. Oh, they know it up here in their head, but it's gone from their heart. They no longer feel the intrigue and the the mystery. I use that word carefully. The mystery of the great shepherd and his love and his intimacy that he wants to have for us. Uh, They've leveled off. This is why I'm a huge advocate of the prayer closet. If you don't have a daily regular time alone with God... For, you know, I'm talking about more than just two minutes, a quick little, what's the verse for the day? And okay, bless me now, Lord, and out I go. That's nothing. I mean, you need to get alone with God. And if you don't have that every day, you are doing yourself a disservice. You, you, you don't have to tell me, you've leveled off. You cannot grow as a Christian. You cannot keep growing without a decent prayer closet. You can't do it. 
you, you can't live on yesterday's blessings. You may as well try and live on yesterday's food. You have to have food for today. And there are certain things you know you need. And food is one of them. And sleep is another one. Exercise is another one. Fresh air and clean drinking water. You need those things to, 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 to just live and to, to grow. And you have to have the Word of God and prayer every day. You have to have a meaningful experience. And your prayer closet, if you do it right, will be revival time for you. Every morning. Now, it may you may have to kick yourself out of bed some days. But when you get down to the prayer closet... You're glad you did. It's always that way. Sometimes, oh man, ooh, I just want to stay in bed another 30 minutes or whatever. You get out of bed and you get down to your prayer closet. And after your 30 minutes or your 45 minutes or your hour or whatever you spend with the Lord, I mean, you, you reap what you sow. You'll, whatever you, you invest, that's what you'll, you'll get a, a, your dividends on. And so if you invest five minutes, that's all you're going to get is a little blessing from God. If you invest a half hour or more, you're going to reap a whole lot more. But if you do it right, you're going to come out of the prayer closet like Moses came down from the mountain. You're going to have a glow on your face. You're going to meet God in the morning. And then you'll have strength and grace for that day. And your Christian life will go back to being a praise the Lord. I'm saved. I can't believe it. He loves me. Your light will shine from your face you got to have that prayer closet though you skip that and you're going to short circuit yourself remember our text i am my beloved's and his desire is toward me you know what we need to do we need to rekindle our romance with our savior he needs to become more than just jesus my savior he needs to become my beloved you know, something that I've learned in my marriage. Uh, let me think now. Coming up on 38 years. 38 years I've been married. Something that I've learned is that um, my marriage gets rekindled every time I remember how much my wife cares for me. Now, that may sound like some trite little phrase, but I'm telling you, that is the truth as I stand here. When I, when I realize, here's a woman that could have had a bunch of guys she could have married. Better looking, better jobs, money and things, and she chose me. Here's a woman who stuck with me all these years, through thin and through thinner, <laughs> and through threadbare, and through days when we didn't literally have two nickels to knock together. We didn't have it. Days when we went into a, a Walmart, or actually it was Kmart back in those days, when we had Kmart in Canada, and we would see something, hey, it only costs $1.50. You know, if we start saving our money now in two weeks, we can buy that. I remember those days, and this woman stayed with me. And she never left me through all trials and tribulations. And she produced three beautiful kids. And she's made me the most happy man. And when I remember how much she cares for me, it rekindles my marriage. Because my flames can burn low. 
But when I remember back what God has done for me, you see, God tells us in, in the Bible here, guys, listen carefully. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. You married men, the way you'll know you have God's favor is just look at that little lady who stuck with you these years. Well, what do I do? You know, I've only been married a year or two. Well, don't tell her what's ahead. <laughs> She'll stick with you. You see, that's how my marriage gets rekindled, is when I remember how much she cares for me. And that's how your Christian life will get rekindled in your prayer closet, mainly, as the Holy Spirit starts showing you day after day the wonderful, exciting love God has for you, the exciting truths he'll teach you in the scriptures day by day. And when you miss those times, miss them and give them up just so you can get out the door and go to school, go to work, make money, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You're no better than the couple who will not spend time together. They won't spend time together. They won't sit together on the couch. She'll do her thing, he'll do his thing, and they very quickly become two strangers living under one roof. And that's kind of the way that many Christian lives go. It's just ho-hum. And no wonder there's no burning zeal and desire and excitement to live for the Lord and look forward to rewards in heaven and joy in heaven. And do you have any loved ones in heaven? Do you have any friends in heaven? I got a bunch. I got a bunch who've already gone and beat me there to heaven. They're already up there in heaven. I can hardly wait to meet them. But I'll tell you, I got some 40 men I'm looking forward to meeting. They're the authors of the Bible. <laughs> I want to meet Moses. I do. I want to shake his hand. I want to say, I don't know how you got through the ministry. I <laughs> haven't a clue how I did it. I want to shake your hand, Moses. I want to meet the Apostle Paul. And I want to sit down and talk over a few things with him but I want to see my Jesus. Heaven is a reality to me, and it ought to be an incredible reality to you. Every one of us ought to realize that we're really, literally, only one heartbeat away from heaven. That is the literal truth. The rapture could happen any day, any moment, or the kindly hand of death could usher us into his presence. Some Christians, no, no, I don't want to go. I'm not ready to go. I haven't made my million dollars yet. All right, so you make a million dollars and then the rapture, you don't, have a, you don't have a moment to spend it. How about that? You can have a million dollars, but you got to leave it all behind. Wow. So many silly mistakes we make, isn't that right? Well, as for intrigue, you, you ought to be experiencing some of the intrigue of God. In uh, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, learn of me. And that's what your prayer closet will do for you. It'll restore the joy of your salvation. It'll bring you back into close harmony with your beloved so that it'll renew you. It'll revive you. you say, Hallelujah! He's my beloved. And my beloved loves me. He cares for me. I can feel his presence. I know he's praying for me to the Father, keeping me in good stead. I can hardly wait to slip away and be alone with him, even just for a few minutes. And you see, that's something that's quite possible and very available for every one of us here tonight. But it'll never happen as long as we just, you know, status quo, business as usual. We have to make a conscious effort to get back 
to our Savior. I've told you this story before, I know I have, about um, uh, Ed and Ethel, an old couple driving in the car, and I think that they must have been in their 70s. And they came up to the red light, and beside them came this hot rod. And Ethel looked over, and there's the guy, you know, with one hand on the steering wheel, another hand around his babe. And she was just about, you know, laying all over him. And Ethel said to Ed, Ed, look at that. Look at those two people, young people. How can he even drive the car? And Ed shrugged his shoulders, I don't know. So the light turns green, and boom, off they go. And Ed puts it in gear, and off they go. And Ethel's sitting there, and she's thinking back years, 50 years or more. And she said, Ed, do you remember when we used to drive like that? Ed said, I do. Ethel said, whatever happened? Ed said, honey, I haven't moved. Do you understand? Ethel is the one who's moved. And if you got a blah Christian life, guess who's moved? It's not your beloved Savior. You've moved. You've cooled. You've drifted. You're at the furthest side of the car when you could be close to your Savior. Ah, My beloved is mine, and I am his. I want to show you one last scripture, and then we're going to finish. It's in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. I'd like you to turn there quickly. Ephesians, and chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'd like to remind you that the Lord Jesus, shortly after he rose from the dead, met with two of the disciples as they were on the road to Emmaus. And he began with the Old Testament scriptures and he revealed himself, he preached himself. They had a a, a little Bible study, if you will, on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus was the teacher and they were soaking it in. And when they got to where they were going, Jesus vanished out of their sight. And they realized it was Jesus. And they looked at each other and they said, did not our hearts burn within us? When was the last time you felt your heart on fire for the truths that God was showing you in the Bible, for the fellowship, the closeness? You see, you can have that again. Ephesians chapter 3. And look, please, at verse 16. Here's a prayer that Paul makes for the Christians at Ephesus. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. Song of Solomon chapter 7 verse 10. That's why He gave us this book. 
I don't need some modern Bible version to understand, to understand him better. There's a story about a man in Australia who was given a new boomerang. You know what a boomerang is. And he was given a new boomerang. And he had so much trouble getting rid of his old boomerang. Because every time he threw it away, it kept coming right back to him. That's what we have here in the scriptures. We have the Bible that keeps coming back to us. The good old King James Bible. It just keeps coming back. It just keeps blessing. And I'll tell you something else. His love keeps on coming back. You will never be able to outlove him. You can never outgive him. You can never outpray him. You can never outthink him. You can't out anything him. He is so much greater. And that alone should intrigue you to learn more about him. And you can in your prayer closet. Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's bow our heads for prayer.